Gracious Lord, just as your disciples saw you revealed in all your glory, and even as they were coming down the mountain, they saw you alone coming with them. We pray, Lord, that you would reveal again yourself, your glory, your face to us as we seek you here, seek you in your word. It's in your name, Lord Christ, that we pray. Amen. Just go ahead and be seated. Well, it is no secret to anyone who knows me that I love mountains. I love taking in their glory and grandeur, even from afar as you're, you know, driving out here along the plains. And I love the challenge of climbing them. All the extremities of the human experience can be faced in one exploit in a mountain, on a mountain. You can face extremes of cold and heat, hunger, thirst, fear, and elation, adversity and satisfaction, all in the space of about 12 hours and 4,000 feet. Some days, some moments in the mountains can bring immense clarity. That's why sometimes we even apply the term a mountaintop experience, right, to our daily life when we've experienced some sort of moment of clarity or some sort of moment of, of truth, as it were. We call it a mountaintop experience. But I can also tell you from experience that sometimes mountaintops bring visions obscured by cloud. In 2007, I had the privilege of climbing Mount Rainier in Washington State with two friends. And Rainier, even though it's no taller than one of our 14ers here in Colorado, uh, the base starts at 3,000 feet. So that climb puts you at about 11,000 feet that you are trying to ascend. Um, my friend, as we were driving up and got our first glimpse of the mountain, kind of looked at it and went, why does it have to be so big? He had, been, he had been sleeping in the backseat. He woke up from a nap. And went, Why does it have to be so big? It's a massive undertaking. And you hike partway up and sleep on a glacier. And then at about midnight, you wake up to make your ascent. And about eight hours later, if conditions are favorable, if the weather holds, you summit into the crater of the dormant volcano, Mount Rainier. So needless to say, when I summited on a clear, blue, beautiful alpine morning, I was exhausted, and we did what anybody would do. We hunkered down behind a wind shelter and took a nap. So before walking to the rim of the volcano and taking in the views, we were sleeping for about half an hour, woke up to realize that we had missed our window entirely. It was completely socked in. We couldn't see anything. Couldn't see Seattle, couldn't see the ocean beyond, couldn't see the Cascades trailing up to the north. We missed it all. Well, I could not help but think of that experience this week as I reflected on the familiar passage that I just read to us from our gospel with Peter, James, and John on another mountain with Jesus. There they too experienced some extremes, glory and terror, quite frankly, clear vision of Jesus as he truly is and the cloud descending upon the mountain and the voice of God. 
And I could not help but pray through this story and consider how it forms our own experiences as disciples of Jesus and how it can prepare us for the season that lies ahead of us as the people of God at Christ our hope. The season of Lent that will begin later this week and this season of change and transition. So if you have your Bible with you, please turn in it to Matthew chapter 17. As always, before we dive in, it's helpful to get a, a feel for the context of this scene. See, Jesus has been on retreat, basically, with his apostles. In the previous chapter, we're told that he came with his disciples into the district of Caesarea Philippi. This is in the far north of modern-day Israel, in what was the ancient allotment of the tribe of Dan. It's on the border with southern Lebanon. It's a gorgeous country. It's an Edenic, lush region where the seven springs that feed the headwaters of the Jordan River originate. There are rhododendrons with leaves the size of your head. And there's even today a ski resort on the slopes of Mount Hermon, which is itself a 14er, by the way. It's a subalpine, subtropical, lush, beautiful country. And this is where Jesus drew away with his disciples to escape the thronging crowds that were constantly following him in Galilee. And he draws his disciples away to spend some time with them while he impresses upon them some of the essential teachings about the kingdom and more importantly about his personal mission to bring light and salvation to the entire world through his cross and his resurrection. This is where he teaches them for the third time that the Messiah must be crucified and on the third day rise again. This is where Peter presumes to rebuke Jesus and say, never, right? And he says, get thee behind me, Satan. This is also where Peter redeems himself a little bit by declaring in answer to Jesus' question, who do you say that I am? The confession upon which Christ says he will build his church you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. At any rate, appreciate that context. Jesus has drawn his 12 apostles away into a more remote, quiet, beautiful place to teach and instruct them more intentionally. As we prepare to enter into the holy season of Lent this week, I would urge each and every one of you to consider finding a day, even half a day, and drawing away to be with Jesus in this season. Perhaps like Jesus, and like I like to do, that should be in a remote wilderness place, weather permitting these days. Or consider going up to St. Walburga's Abbey. Maybe it just needs to be right here. I can tell you how to get into this building. You can sit in the sanctuary. Or it could be uh, just sitting at home while your spouse takes the kids out to do something give you that moment of quiet. I don't know, retreat spaces can look and be as varied as the people sitting in this room. But the challenge has been thrown down there for you. This Lent, find a time and a place to draw away and to be intentionally with Jesus to hear his voice. Well, in the context of this retreat teaching time, Jesus' leadership team, if you will, his oft-termed inner circle, his BFFs perhaps, I don't know, are invited for a very special time of prayer and retreat with the Lord. 
As we read, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. Jesus has been on retreat with the 12, you know, his chosen leaders. Now he leads his three closest and dearest companions up a high mountain. Quite likely this was up one of the ridges of Mount Hermon itself, that 14er I mentioned earlier. But the specific mountain doesn't matter as much as the idea of a high mountain. Throughout the scriptures, not only wilderness, but mountains are associated with the revelation of God. As we'll see in a moment, the significance of high mountains in God's revelatory relationship with Moses is being deliberately sort of evoked here. Likewise, Elijah met with God in the mountain wilderness. David was protected by God in wild mountainous places. There was a mountain, Mount Zion, that God chose for the uh, uh, building of his temple. But this was not just a corporate retreat at a mountain estate. This is merely the setting. Because we read next. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun. And his clothes became white as light. Now, surely, that was a breathtaking, humbling, and as we see from Peter's response, a frankly terrifying experience. But we need to appreciate it not just for those reasons, but for the clear reference that God is making through this. By transfiguring Jesus, changing his appearance, God was pointing to the vision of the prophet Daniel in chapter 7 of his book. There Daniel writes, As I looked, this night vision, as I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat, His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. Here, Jesus is being revealed as the Ancient of Days, as Daniel saw him. This is a revelation of the divinity, the eternal glory of Jesus, the Son. For a brief few minutes, these disciples are privileged to see Jesus in his fullness. Remember that St. Paul tells us that though he was in the very form of God, Jesus didn't uh, consider equality with God something to be grasped at, but he emptied himself, taking on the nature of a servant, being found in human likeness. Here, the apostles glimpse a vision of the former glory that Jesus had had before he emptied himself to come among them. And the account goes on. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Take in that picture for a moment. The eternal almighty God, the ancient of days, conversing with the two Old Testament figures who had received similar revelations centuries before. Moses being allowed to see the Lord's back as he passed by him and hid him with his hand in the cleft in the rock, right? Elijah, who knew to go out, not in the firestorm or the tempest, but when he heard God's still, small voice. God, the revealer, conversing with the two most iconic conduits of his Old Testament revelation. And then, a new revelation 
in verse 5. Behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Again, God is just pouring layer upon layer of symbol and meaning and revelation. The shining cloud like that which marked God's presence leading his people in victory out of Egypt, out of their bondage, leading them through the wilderness as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Like that which rested upon the mountain and later the tent of meeting when Moses went in to inquire of the Lord and speak to him as Exodus tells us as a man speaks to his brother. This manifestation of God's presence rests upon the mountain and the voice of Almighty God speaks, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Again, a clear declaration that Jesus, the Ancient of Days, the eternal Word of God who gave Daniel vision and Moses revelation and Elijah prophetic utterance, this Jesus has been given to his beloved disciples to speak the Word of God to them as well. Brothers and sisters, our God is a God of revelation. He longs to be known. He longs to reveal himself. He speaks to us. He's been speaking to his creation from the beginning of time. He speaks to us each and every day through his creation. He speaks through his word, through the prophets, through his apostles. But above all, he has spoken definitively through his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus still speaks. My prayer for us in this holy season of Lent is that we might hear the voice of Jesus even more clearly. That we would cultivate listening hearts. That we would break down the barriers, clear out the the blockages that muffle his voice. That we would confess and, and put away and be cleansed from the sins that corrupt our hearing and our sight. That we would be healed of the wounds and the scar tissue that gets in the way of right hearing and right seeing. That we would learn to walk in the practices and spiritual disciplines that train our ears to to tune more intentionally to the voice of the God who is always, every moment of every day, delighted to reveal. Reveal more of himself more of his plan, more of his purpose, more of his joy, more of his peace, more of his love. That's my prayer for you, my brothers and sisters, as we walk this most holy path of Holy Lent. Notice, however, that God's revelation is not always rainbows and warm fuzzies. How does this descent of the cloud and the the voice of the Father leave the apostles? When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. This too is reminiscent of God's Old Testament revelations. You recall in Exodus when uh, at the foot of Mount Horeb, uh, God descends to reveal his, his covenant to his people. And after days of preparation, they prepare and he, he descends and he speaks to them. And the people say, never make us do that again, right? 
they voluntell Moses, you go be our mediator from now on. You go talk to God and come back and you tell us what he said. They were terrified and never wanted to have to do that again. I remember the very first time I felt I heard the Lord's voice speaking and directing my heart. I had been through a teaching by a woman named Leanne Payne who wrote a book called Listening Prayer. And she coached us through how to ground ourselves in the scripture and listen for God's voice to speak from them directly to our hearts. That was an exciting new idea for me. I went home and I spent a good deal of time seeking to apply what I'd learned. And and I remember sitting and and repeating the prayer of the the boy Samuel. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And the Lord did speak to my heart, plain as day. He said, if you want to hear my voice, start obeying what you know I've already said in my word. That is not what I wanted to hear from the Lord the first time I was receiving, you know, a a sense of his, you know, directly speaking to my heart. You want me to speak, do what I already told you. But you know what? That was precisely what I needed to hear. When God reveals himself, it is not always in ways that we are comfortable with. It is not always with warm and fuzzy words of affirmation. Certainly he does speak though. But sometimes he speaks words of correction, strengthening words that may not feel pleasant, but which might call us forth to nobler things, call us out of comfort into faith. It can be an unnerving thing to receive God's revelation because often it is accompanied by conviction and a call to action. For the poor disciples, though, it just led to sheer terror. And in the midst of this scene, the terror of the disciples, the glory of Jesus, all of which point to the power of revelation that is manifest in Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the Father, the Ancient of Days, in the midst of all that, what's the one word that Jesus speaks? Rise and have no fear. What a summary of the entire scene. What a summary of the entire message of the gospel. Rise and have no fear. When Adam and Eve first rebelled against God and followed their own path of self-determination in the garden, what do we read? They say to God, we hid because we heard you coming and we were afraid because we were naked. Fear and shame are the products of human rebellion against God. And God's entire message throughout time, through his actions in the history of his ancient people, and ultimately through the coming of Jesus, the Son, to live and die as one of us, to reconcile us to God, it has all been so that in and through Jesus, God can say to us, rise and have no fear. Rise from this place of shame and be restored to your former dignity. Rise from the sin and brokenness that mars your life and experience. Rise from a life tainted by the stench of death into everlasting life. Jesus' first word to his apostles, who have just been told by the Father himself to listen to him, is the same word, rise. Have no fear. 
Yes, he was speaking directly to their experience of being overwrought by what they had just seen and heard and experienced. But it was also a strengthening word to prepare them for what they were about to face. Because as they come down off of the mountain and rejoin their companions, Jesus will begin to lead them back all the way back to Jerusalem where he will be betrayed into the hands of evil men, where he will bear the shame of all humanity and be crucified, where the disciples' own faith and resolve will be sorely tested and where more than one of them will sorely fail. But in preparation for the tribulations to come, Jesus speaks this strengthening word, rise and have no fear. My prayer for us, people of God, as we head into the struggle of Lent later this week, as we walk through this season of change and transition as a community, is that we too will be strengthened by this word of Jesus, arise, have no fear. Through the struggle of Lent, hear the ennobling call of the Master to arise. Rise up, ye saints of God. Have done with lesser things. Step into the true freedom, the true nobility you were made for. Leave fear and shame and lesser things behind. And through this season of parish transition, as we say goodbye to former things, as we say goodbye to this space, and embrace a new chapter in our corporate life. Hear the strengthening word of Christ. Rise and have no fear. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. This is the bringer of my revelation. Listen to him. And he says to each and every one of us, rise and have no fear. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.